We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Oh, hello, friends, and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 13. Joining me now is the one, the only, Matthew Rooney. Matt, how you doing? How was the weekend? What's new? Joe, this this makes a baker's dozen for it. For us, this is. This is. Doc dozen. says Doc says it's just fibulation. <laughs> Thank you for picking up on that reference. <laughs> yeah, I got I got what you're going for there. I, I, I thought you would. Uh, weekend <laughs> weekend was good. Uh, kept it a little bit low key. Wanted to be in, in tip top shape for the uh, for the Monday morning podcast. God, yours? I, I respect the hell out of that. Yeah, um, you my, gotta mine be prepared. Was good. Mine was good, though, Matt. Uh, we had some British Open action. We're about to dive into that in a little bit. Uh, watched a lot of that. Nice to wake up in the morning and watch golf, not have to wait with bated breath. But other than that, had a little work, uh, went out, grabbed some dinner. It was uh, low-key on my end, too. But uh, we got a lot to talk about today, Matt. Uh, we're going to kick things off here with the British Open. Jordan Spieth wins the third leg of his career Grand Slam with a final score of 12 under a great day of golf yesterday and some great golf played over the entire weekend. Now, b- before we jump into the actual golf itself, I'm glad he touched on it. How uh-huh. awesome is it just waking up in the morning to pretty much right around when the final pairing's teeing off and not having to sit around the couch, lay around till you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon? It was perfect. And it's then fantastic. On the, and then on the tail end of it, I really enjoyed, you know, once the tournament was over, it finished up, what, around 1230, 1245-ish? Yeah. You got the whole day in front of you. The Sunday scaries kind of start to set in uh, during the normal tournament. You know, they end around 5, 6, 7 o'clock, and, and then Monday's, Monday's looking you down the barrel. So you had a little time to decompress even after the tournament, which was lovely. So maybe maybe we get these guys to go out at like 3 in the morning here stateside as well. Yeah, and, let's uh, get some really, lights on the golf course. and just because it's, it's more convenient for us. It's about the viewer, right? These, the these, viewer. these guys are getting paid a bunch of money. <laughs> if they got to tee off at 3 a.m., so be it. I'm not going to cry for them. Uh, well, whatever time it finished up at, it was one of the more excited, exciting finishes in uh, recent memory. Jordan Spieth plays the last five holes, five under, after just a complete debacle on hole number 13. Showed some serious signs of maturity yesterday and took another step on cementing his legacy in one of the most historic games. You know, it, it was interesting because up until that 13th, I was, I was kind of thinking about what we were going to talk about, what I was going to say about it so far, because it was almost like the anti- of, of last year's final round when Phil and, and Stenson threw out, I think, 63 and 65 and were just kind of dueling, going back and forth, making putts in each other's faces, all that. Neither Kucher or Spieth seemed to really make the big shot. They kind of were missing all their, you know, questionable putts, you know, closer putts, whatever, to, to maybe grab some momentum. And then that drop that, t- that Spieth took about 30 minutes and he you know, yeah. that three-wood kind of changed all the momentum and obviously the rest was history. But up until that point, it was actually an incredibly underwhelming third round where I think the, uh, what was it? How Dong Lee's 63 was like the, was the highlight of the round by far. Yeah. And you make a good point there, Matt, with just kind of how the momentum changed on 13. I know you're going to touch on that later, but Spieth almost, I know it doesn't apply here, but he almost took the air out of the ball there on Cooch. A sign of respect went up to him, thanked him, but that definitely was your watershed moment in the tournament. Uh, Jordan, Jordan's the face right now. Is that fair to say he's the face of golf? I, I, absolutely. I think after. I mean, he's he, he has the most of that young group. Now he has the most majors with three. Correct. 
Yeah, he does. I, and, yeah. and he looked shaky, which at the beginning of the round, I think he, he bogeyed three of the first four holes and came back to Cooch, and it mm-hmm. turned almost into a match play situation there for, for the majority of the round. Everybody going back and forth, holding serve. But just the ability to power through those moments and not be wrecked by those moments and not be wrecked by a hundred yard wayward shot to the right and to be able to understand the game and understand the rules. He definitely is the face of golf, but every time this happens and it bothers me, you want to go to the measuring stick. And I don't believe Tiger Woods is a fair measuring stick for these guys. We need to find something else to measure these guys against because it, it's unfair to, to put Jordan up against Tiger or up against his numbers because they, they just don't match up. What, what Tiger did was mythical. And, I mean, I could spew Tiger stats out of my ears right now. I mean, it, it just doesn't match up to what Jordan did or what Jordan's doing. I don't either. We've touched on here before. I don't – every time Jordan or, or one of these younger guys wants to win a major, they, they always bring up you know a graphic like, well, this is when Jack did it well. This is when Tiger did it. And, and I know that's just – that's in terms of you – know, you, they kind of need to do that. They kind of need to bring in the older guys because you know, everybody still wants to hear about Tiger. But I think golf will finally be in its best stop, you know, spot when we stop doing that. that yeah. That, that's that. I, I do think it is good for golf that Jordan won this and kind of reestablished himself as a face because I think he was after that Masters U.S. Open. Got him, you know, those two really quickly and that kind of fell off a bit, a little bit. I think he's starting to grab that again. And I think it is better for golf to have that, you know, watermark guy rather than, you know, what was, would have been the 14th, you know, consecutive major where the first time winner of Kucher were to win it. I think golf does need that dominant player. Well, it won't be Tiger dominant. I, I think that heavy favorite going into every tournament is really, really good for the game. Yeah, and he is the heavy favorite. You make a good point there, but the bar has been set so high, and this is what we do. We compare LeBron to MJ. We compare hockey players to Wayne Gretzky. We compare quarterbacks to Montana and Elway and those types of guys with the passing stats of Marino. It just It's what we want to do. I think that Tiger set the bar so high that that comparison's not fair. If you look at it, just, just a couple stats here. Tiger's win percentage, including these last... 10 years of infamy, he still wins 26% of the tournaments he played. Jordan's merely won 9% of the tournaments. Tiger, during the height of his dominance, was at 40% win rate. Tiger held the top spot for 680-something weeks. Jordan's not even number one right now. So the way I was looking at it, and stay with me here, it was almost like a dictator was removed from power when Tiger left, and there was a massive vacuum. There was a vacuum of power, and People were looking for someone to fill it, but it got filled by a number of small subsects because you can't expect someone to fill the vacuum that Tiger left, even though we want to make Jordan big enough to fill that vacuum or we want to make Dustin big enough to fill that vacuum. I think they all have their place in that vacuum and we're starting to become comfortable with that, which I enjoy. I, I do agree. And I think the one thing you brought up there was you brought up his Tiger's win percentage and how, you know, the 600 or whatever straight weeks he was up at, you know, at the top of number one. Those have really just become stats that people want to look over now. Nobody really, the only stat that anybody ever really wants to talk about to measure greatness is that how quickly did he get to these majors? How many majors does he want? And that has become, it seems like, far and away the only thing that really kind of matters, if that makes sense. Uh, no it one does, really seems to talk about Because when Tiger was around and winning all these tournaments and he was you know, world number one for that long, people did talk about that. They did say, 
hey, you know, he's at one again. You know, when he fell off number one, it was a huge deal. And the, the winning percentage in the minor tournaments was a bigger deal too. But now it's, it's only who can catch Jack, who's got this many majors. Well, Spieth is there, you know, second quickest ever. Maybe he can get to that number. But that, I don't think he'll is, ever get to that 25% win rate. That is the one place where Spieth does match up is he's already out in front of Tiger's uh, major pace. Yeah. But that's looking at a 24-year-old Tiger. Now, call me when Spieth's 27 and see if he's still on Tiger's pace because exactly. there, were, there was that chunk in the middle where no one won but Tiger. But uh, yeah, Jordan Spieth, great for the game. I think that's fair to say. And I, I've been listening to a lot of people talk about it and I was looking at Twitter and a lot of casual golf fans. This is a guy that casual golf fans will latch onto and will tune into uh, where maybe not even the Ricky Fowlers and Dustin Johnsons and Jason Days have that type of pull. Jordan Spieth does have that pull. He brings in a casual golf fan who maybe hasn't watched a swing of golf since the Masters or the U.S. Open. Yeah, the, the thing that I like about Jordan that I think that helps with him bringing in these casual golf fans is he, he just he seems like a very relatable guy to us. I mean, he, he's not afraid to, you know, when he's mic'd up or whatever, he's not afraid to curse if he hits a bad shot. You know, he, he chats it up with his caddy a little bit. He's not afraid to... He's you know he did the little nut tap to his caddy there after that was, narrowly that was the scorecard. Genuinely he's, outstanding. He's jumping, doing you know side bumps with his caddy. After he's twenty three years old. He's a but kid. That's what I like about him, Joe. He's, yeah, he's he, not this like he's not this larger than life figure. He's this guy who seems to relate to everybody else, and he seems really really humble in interviews. He's always saying we, you know, we're talking about his caddy instead of I. He, he just seems like a very relatable, good guy who just you want to like and root for because of that. He doesn't seem stuck up. He doesn't seem better than you. He doesn't seem any of that, if that makes sense. It does. He's he's super relatable, except the $35 million of on-course earnings that he has at the age of 23. So bravo to him on a absolutely outstanding start to a young career. It well, you, seems just, like you we, just ruined my Monday morning. Thanks. I know, right? It seems he, like we've been watching Jordan play for the better part of the decade, and we have, because he won that John Deere when he was 19, I believe. So we, we've had him now for the better part of four seasons, and uh, he's definitely cemented his place in golf. And, and I think that if he can win a couple more tournaments, this is back-to-back starts that he's won. If he can win a couple more tournaments here this season, I think that'll do that'll do a large part in people recognizing that he maybe is the face. Now, if DJ comes back and wins a couple tournaments between now and Jordan's next win, we'll have a, a different conversation and the narrative will take a left turn. So I think that these are the moments that are important to establishing his dominance on the PGA Tour. Agreed. And the, the PGA, Following wins. The PGA Championship, too, is going to be absolutely massive for Jordan because if he can win that, get the career slam, that, that would really cement him as that, the leader of this pack. I, I mean, he's he's locked into. He, he, you know, he is the leader a, now. But there, you know, he, like you said, if Dustin were to go and you'll win the PGA, well, that's yeah, people it, start it, going it, talking about Dustin. If Spieth wins the PGA, wins the Career Slam, and has you know another back-to-back performance, I think he's 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 in it right now. But that cements him so much higher ahead of everybody. Yeah, it's uh, the throne is still for the taking, but he's uh, he's closest to it. I think is 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 both what we're what we're trying to say here, Joe. I don't um, think we're allowed to say the word throne after what we talked oh, about yeah, last it, week. It's been stricken from, from the record. We I think after uh, the backlash we got on Twitter, we're not allowed to say the word throne. Can we say the word game, though? Because game well, we're is We're going to have to say game. Yeah, I think game is pretty... we can't say game and throne within, like, five words of each other. Even though I just did it there, we're not yeah, allowed to do so that within, like, five words. From starting now. Starting now. Perfect. Well, we're going to transition here. A major congrats to Jordan Spieth on his British Open win, the champion golfer of the year. But we're going to transition to... Some reigning champions, the Cubs, 
looking like gangbusters in the second half. The feeling's back. The excitement is there. Wrigley looked like it was rocking last night for that series win against the Cardinals. They're five games over 500 for the first time this season, and they've started out the second half winning eight of nine contests, already tied for first place. Are the Cubbies back? They, they certainly seem to have their swagger back, don't they? I mean, they, they, they seemed a little bit lost going into that break, and, and now they, they seem like they have that confidence. I know they, they blew that lead against the Cardinals in the first game of the series, and the bullpen kind of imploded, and whatever, they lost 11-2 to because of that eighth inning. But they, they seemed like they were able to just kind of brush that one aside, aside easily and come back and win a couple big games. And they, they, their pitching is, is back. Quintana obviously helps a bunch. Arietta's been solid in his couple starts. And they're hitting the ball. The, the, the rest seems to have helped. Um, they're starting to hit the ball again, which was a big issue for them. They were not producing with runners in scoring position. Now they're starting to do that. They're starting to get those clutch hits that we remember seeing them pick up last year. Yeah, and as much as the bats are back, it's I think it starts with the pitching. Because if you look at it, they have the best ERA, the best whip, and the second best strikeout to walk ratio in the MLB right now in the second half. So uh, small sample size, but their pitchers have all come out in their first and now some of them in their second starts and establish themselves as what we knew they were last year and what they really couldn't get on that grounding this year. Another yeah. outstanding start yesterday by Quintana. Um, I, I don't have a slash line in front of me, but he had another handful of strikeouts. He had seven Ks, I think it was six innings, three earned. So he's fitting right yeah. in um, his his home. First home start in, in Wrigley. We talked about it last week in front of the rivals. it got to be good for him moving forward. Yeah, that was, I think, a big a big start for him mentally, physically, whatever you want to say. You Getting that first home start at Wrigley against this team's biggest rival and going out and eat, after a little bit of a rough start, giving up that early two-run shot to Gritchick, really settled in and uh, you know kept the Cardinals in check with, with the exception of uh, that third run. And if you look at it, 10 days ago, the Cubs are five and a half game backs, games back of the league, uh, league-leading Milwaukee Brewers, and now they're tied for the lead. This always struck me as a team that had the propensity to make up that five-game deficit in 10 days, but I really don't think this is a team that could drop five and a half games in a 10-day span, if that makes any sense. I no, think I'm that, with you. They're, they're, I don't think they're while, ever going to get they, that bad. Yeah, while they might not have been playing their best baseball, I think that even if, even if they regressed the mean a little bit here, I don't think we're going to see any major fall-off. So it's going to make for an exciting second half now that they've tied things up early on in in the the late late moments of July here. Yeah, you brought up them you know, tying that division, and that can only happen if, if you know things happen on both sides there. The Cubs obviously start not like gangbusters, but, man, those Brewers look terrible. Yeah. They look Just awful. They can't complete hit their flip pitching. side of the coin. Their pitching seems to be what we always thought their pitching was, which is terrible. Um, they, they seem to be falling off a little bit quickly here. I think they lost two series to the Phillies so far since the All-Star break. They've lost seven of eight or eight of nine or whatever to start the break. Uh, they're, they're in a little bit of trouble. And now I don't want to, I don't want to forecast too big of a fall off here, but and we're not in buy and sell yet, but give me your prediction what place the Milwaukee Brewers finish in in the NL Central. Because um, if you look if you look at the race right now, St. Louis is in second to last. St. Louis is in fourth, and they're only four and a half games back. So there could be some jostling amongst the top four here. This is probably going to be a massive overreaction, uh, but I'm going to say they dropped the fourth. I think um, so as well. I, I think I, if the Cubs do this, they're going to win the division, obviously. 
The Pirates look like more like the Pirates we thought they were. Not a great team, but a, a very solid team who should be, you know, five, ten games over five hundred, which I think will be good enough for second in that division. And I, the Cardinals will, I think, finish in the middle of that division. They're going to go on a couple good runs, a couple bad ones, and probably finish right around, you know, five hundred. And I, I don't uh, think the Brewers have the pitching to sustain what they did. As I said, uh, Cubs win eight of their first nine games. And they got four easy ones coming up. It, it pains me to say, but uh, we got two at Wrigley and then two at. Um, what are you? What are you calling Joe, it? What, what are you Joe, calling? Joe, if, if you if you think the the Sox aren't coming ready to play in the Crosstown Cup, I don't care. Throw if we, out I don't the care records. It's Cubs Sox. I don't care if we drop nine, in, Sox, I don't care if we drop nine in a row. We this, this one. I, I mean, granted, they're probably going to get swept in four, but. Sox always seem to show up for this one. No matter how bad they are, even though the Cubs have been good over the last couple of years, the Sox have always seemed to, to get up for it. Granted, I don't think they have the capability to get up for it with the pitching. I think they're, the yeah. pitching matchups I heard for Wednesday and Thursday were just flat-out depressing. I think you got Mike Pelfrey pitching against Jake Arrieta, and then I forgot who's even going I'm up looking at it Lester, now. but somebody's going to get shelled. I'm looking at it now. They got Arietta going against Shields, and then Lester Pelfrey. So... Uh, not not going to be a not going to be a, a fun time at at the rate. Is that what is that what the kids uh, are calling it? I'm still the rate? stick into the cell. Uh, I'm calling it the cell. It, it's yeah. never not going to be the cell to me. I don't care how many times. It's just what I got. You know, grew up calling it and all used. Yeah, to it. but it's, it's but at the same time, I grew up calling it Comiskey Park, and it took a few years for me Fair to enough. get on board with the, the cell. Rate, the rate doesn't have the rate's same not ring a cool. To it. The cell yeah, is not a, had a nice ring to it. U.S. Cellular Field sounds nice. We need a cooler nickname for it. Uh, for it at this point, but looking at it here as well, the Sox, um, do they steal one? Do you think they can sneak one out here? I think just the odds say maybe they get one. I think they can steal one. They can steal one, maybe grab like you two. Said, who knows? Ma- I mean, matchup wise, it, it would have to happen at Wrigley in these first two. You would think so, but you know, weird, stranger things have happened. I, the, the Sox offense isn't really bad. That's not the issue here. I mean, if they, if they can string together a couple hits and maybe their pitching gets hot for a game or two who knows maybe the Cubs bats fall silent you never know but it, it as much as it's not really a rivalry to those guys when they're not playing if that makes sense I think mm-hmm. for these four especially for the Southsiders um, I, I think they maybe get a little bit up for it I think the Cubs are a little bit more worried about their own division race and kind of what they got going on whereas the Sox have a little bit not much more going on and this is a reason for them to get up for it a little bit um I definitely think they can win too. Uh, they've never lost the Crosstown Cup, Joe. I think that's something that we we shouldn't overlook here. That's that's pretty big. The Crosstown Cup. Does BP still have sponsorship? Or no? I think they dropped it. Last I think they dropped year. it, it be, after like the first year. Why used to be want? the BP Crosstown Cup. But th- you bring up a good point there, Matt. What is the status of this rivalry? Because for the better part of the last decade, one or both of these teams have been in rebuild mode when it comes to this. The last time we had two good baseball teams going at it in the Crosstown Classic, I think was when it was a six-game series, and interleague, interleague play was played how it used to be played. Joe, it, it's a fan rivalry. Um, yeah. It hasn't been an on-field rivalry since the Pierzynski-Barrett punch, really. Yeah. Um, even then, it was only an on-field rivalry because a punch was thrown. Yeah, uh, so I, punched, I punched anymore. AJ and made him an all-star. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> But I think in, in a couple of years it might have the potential to. Obviously, yeah. the Cubs aren't really going anywhere. If if the rebuild goes according to plan, I think the Sox will be a very good baseball team, and they'll have a, they'll have a chance to meet up in, in the World Series at some point. And if that ever happens, this rivalry will take off. But even if it doesn't, 
if you have two good teams in the city, there there is going to be a little bit more of a rivalry. There's going to be some more jostling for attention. While obviously the Cubs will always, I think, have a little bit more attention, I think having a really good team on the south side playing that little brother role will spark a little bit of a rivalry. Because if you got two teams, those games all mean more than just a rivalry. Those games are all important. If yeah, you're playing, you're playing for your July, You're playing July August baseball. Each one of those counts, and to have two teams vying for a division lead would be. Great for the city, great for the town, great for the rivalry, and I think the windows, like you say, do overlap a little bit. 2020, 2021, and we could see some maybe some postseason baseball. Chicago crosstown, fingers crossed. That would be uh, that would be exciting and dangerous all at the same time. While we're on the topic, Matt, Sox drop as you said nine straight, uh, eight straight here to start the second half, but the Mancata call up. Happens. What? Uh, what were your first? I know he's got a couple hits already, but what are your first impressions on Mankata? I know Hawk came out and said he's got a face for baseball. He's got hey, a great. He, he does. He's got a. He's got a great baseball face. I don't know what that means, Hawk, but I love it. First off, speaking of Hawk and Mankata, I was watching the uh, the game. Was it Friday night when he got his that that three RBI you know, bases clearing triple? Hawk then called him Johan Moncada when he got on the third base. So I thought that nice. was funny. That was a nice, funny nice. Hawk mispronunciation. But, but we uh, all know, we all know, you can't, you can't hold, uh, you can't hold old people accountable for names. That's just, it's, that's it's just as long as they're in the ballpark. It's just a rule. As long as they're in the ballpark, you're fine. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of Hawk, did you did you see the clip of him talking about George Brett's hemorrhoids? Um, you know, I heard about it. I wish it was some, it's I something I wish I could forget, but thankfully Hawk, I didn't. Didn't it say something like he would have hit four hundred if it wasn't? Yeah, he was talking about him chasing four hundred, and then there was an awkward pause. And he goes, "But he got them damn henroids or something like that." And Stoney did, had no idea what to say, and he made a great. It was a great quip. He said something along the lines of, "Well, let's hope his troubles are behind him." Yeah, so Johan Moncada made his debut this week. Uh, <laughs> Hemorrhoid humor on the Sox broadcast. That's when you know things are no, going we were, south. We were, on we the actually, south side. they were uh, they were going to poke fun a little bit on that on our ten o'clock show over at Comcast last night, and we it uh-huh. ended up getting floated because we ran out of time. But the the graphic of the graphic I made for it had the caption "Hawk and Stony get to the bottom of things." Nice. Yeah, right? That's, you're right? really you're really making you're really making yourself useful over there, Matt. You're you're getting your money. They're getting their money's worth out of you. Hey, I poop jokes are my expertise. Get to the bottom of things. Well, I think no better segue here than to just get off that topic. Talk about Matt, the White Sox. They're at the bottom of things, right? They're at they're at the bottom of things, and we will leave a rim shot right there oh, and move on. on. Move on to some Bears talk. I think uh, butt stuff. Let's close. Uh, let's close the topic on butt stuff right now. Um, Matt, it's it's football season. It's here. You can smell it. The pads are, are going to start popping this week. Bear Bears camp starts on Thursday, I believe. It's it's an exciting time. Maybe around the league. I don't know how exciting it's going to be in Chicago, but uh, we will. Definitely- Joe, you know how it's, how exciting it's going to be in Chicago for the first three weeks. This city is going to be alive with Bears fever. Then they're going to no, no, probably no, no, not no, no, as no. good. I, I don't. I don't mistake drama for excitement. No, no, no. People are winning going to be equals excited excitement. about the Bears. They, they, yeah. When week one rolls around, you're going to find half this city saying we're going to the playoffs. That that's that's Bears fans. There, there's well, going to be excitement. Uh, I'll you be in the other half that. because I'm I'm guarding my heart because I know what this team has done in the recent past. But Joe, let's keep it po- let's fan. keep it let's keep it positive today. Camp starts on Thursday. I want to know what you're looking out for this training camp at Bear Benet, Matt. 
uh, I'm looking out. It, it, I, I know you wanted to get a little bit to the health portion of it, I think, and I'm going to build off that a little bit. But the, the mm-hmm. offensive line, um, okay. uh, granted, I, you know, I, I think you could have guessed I would go with this. I'm an offensive line guy. I always have been, always will be. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest, most important part of this offense because if that offensive line can stay on the field and play up to their potential, if, if Kyle Long and Josh Shitton can kind of man down the guard spots, Cody Whitehair can build off what he did last year. Charles Leno can continue to be a, a league average left tackle, which I think he's been surprisingly a nice a nice left tackle. He's not great, but he's also not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's his name? I always forget the, the the guy they picked up from the Cardinals who's playing right tackle, whatever, uh, last year. If, if he can be a nice run-blocking right tackle for him, I, I think their offensive line is going to be very, very solid again. I know they were a top 10, I think, offensive line last year when healthy. They can get, create some space for Jordan Howard, give Mike Glenn and Mitch Trubisky, whoever's back there, some time to throw. I think that offense can do nice things. And if you can keep that defense off the field and get that offense moving the ball a little bit, I think that offense has a chance to be all right. And it, it always starts up, uh, starts out up front. It's definitely something to watch. On my end, Matt, my eyes are just going to be fixed on the trainer's tent. I want to see. I want to see if these Bears can stay healthy just through a training camp. Because last year, that's when it started, and then the training table looked like a scene out of MASH. It looked like an in, yeah. infirmary. They couldn't stay healthy, and that, that's really what ruined the Bears last season. I'm looking at these linebackers. I'm specifically looking at the defensive line. Can you guys stay healthy and be the players that we drafted or be the players that we traded for, be the free agents that we picked up? Because if they can, there are some pieces in place. I don't know about the depth of this team. I don't know what the attitude is around Hallis Hall. But what I do know is that you can't play football with injured football players. And you need to stay healthy throughout this camp. You're going to take injuries during the season. You're going to take your, your lumps. Hopefully they're not serious. Hopefully they're not season-ending. And, and usually the teams that stay healthy can sneak into the playoffs. Because... When you're talking about ones in the NFL, they're ones in the NFL. They're top-tier football players in the world. And the Bears have some of those guys. If they can stay healthy through camp and at least get to the season healthy, maybe my excitement level will rise. But that falls on John Fox and his coaching staff. they got to know how to push these guys. they got to know where to win their battles. they got to know where to try them. And I know... Camp sometimes is the time where you do find out a lot about your team, about the toughness, about the durability, but that's a fine line of pushing that durability in camp because to lose a player against the Packers, to lose a player against the Vikings is one thing, but to lose a player when you're just in shells and you're running around, that's another thing. So they got to protect their guys. I'm keeping an eye on the injury then. Yeah, and it's especially you talked about it a little bit they've had that inability to stay on the field in the past whether it's been in camp or in the regular season that's like every team across the league this year but even more so with the bears because i think last year it, it stood out more than most if they can they have to stay healthy because they're not going to have the depth of those top tier teams but if they can keep their ones on the field who knows maybe they can surprise you know reel off a couple wins that we don't expect them to and maybe make it interesting come you know november december you uh you get down to bear Benet at all uh, you know, I, I don't think so. Uh, have you ever, you ever gone down there? When I was young, we used to go all the time. Okay. Um, it's it's fun. I think it's definitely a father-son thing. I don't know about our great age yeah. group, how, how important of a demographic that is for them, but uh, definitely a fun day with dad um, when, when I was on the younger side. One of the more fun things I ever got to do when, you know, working in this industry was back when I was uh, an associate producer on the Cap'n Haw show. We, we did a 
live show from down there at Bourbon A. And uh, mm-hmm. I did some stuff pre-show. I had some stuff post-show to do. But kind of during the show, didn't really need me for much. Uh, they you said, went out. You hey, went out. They and fielded said, hey, punts. They, I, I tried. They didn't let me. <laughs> Tr- Tressman wouldn't let me on the field. I think he was intimidated by my presence. That's what um, it was. which it, honestly, if Mark Tressman was intimidated by my presence. It wouldn't be that surprising. I think he was intimidated yeah. by everybody's presence. <laughs> um, but that that was a pretty fun experience. They had the press pass. Got to be in between the lines. Got to go over watch you know O line D line one on ones. Got to go watch team periods. And that was the offseason where we all thought they were you know people had them going to the super bowl people had them contending to win the nfc and then of course uh, yes. like five hope. and eleven or whatever that hope i remember i remember yeah. hope yeah well yeah you know you saw what hope did to us last time we had a joke so maybe hope's not the greatest thing in the nfl that's you're you're speaking but, uh, to my heart now you, this is my approach you don't understand it <laughs> i understand i know you well i know you pretty well set now, expectation buddy. low but no camp's a fun time it, it yeah you grant i do think it is a little bit more maybe for the They've targeted to more of the younger demographic, but if you got a day or so to go down and you want to watch some football, it, it's it's a fun way to get your football fill before football happens. Especially if you you know kind of like us have experienced football practices throughout your life, want to see other people do it, want to see other pros kind of go at it. It's it's fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, an exciting time for for football fans everywhere, as you said. Bears gearing up here for camp. One team that's not yet gearing up, but. Uh, Snuck back into the news a little bit this week with the convention. The Blackhawks, Matt, uh, hold their annual convention. Got to see some some old faces, and I'm not talking about retro guys. I'm talking about guys that are back, your sharps and your sods. Um, and, and I really didn't hear any, any breaking news out of the convention, but I want to get your take just on where the Blackhawks are right now. Matt's Hockey Minute, where's your excitement, where's your confidence meter with this team right now? First off, I don't know if you heard or saw any of Patrick Sharp's quotes from when he spoke, but he I was he, I was lost in his eyes, so no, enough. I didn't catch he re- any of that. He referenced Ryan Hartman's hair. Did um, he really? Which I believe I did a couple weeks <laughs> you ago. You did. You were out in front of that. You broke that. Crown. So I would like some credit on Twitter for that. Um, all you Blackhawks beat writers, whatever. I I, I called that first. Uh, I know they Scott listen to the Powers, podcast. We know Scott Powers tunes in. <laughs> I know Mark Lazarus is a fan of the podcast. Um, but I mean. It, like you said, they've had the convention, they've had prospects camp, but it, it's still kind of where we where we were a couple weeks ago, whatever July first when that rolled around. Um, mm-hmm. They've made their big shakeups. I think there are a couple minor moves here. I think they are waiting for the official word from Marion Hosa, and that I would expect nothing less than them getting full cap relief for him. But the thing is, that doesn't kick in until I believe it's we do a week before the regular season starts, or when the regular season starts, right around there. So. Right now, they technically don't have that cap space. I think you can uh-huh. only be like 7% over the salary cap limit um, in the offseason. So they have to wait for that because they can't put him on LTIR until the season rolls around. So I think the, the trade deadline early on midseason might be when you see them try and go make their key additions. But I think they're going to struggle a little bit in the regular season because they got some new faces. they got some younger guys who they're going to try and plug in. They, they have some inexperience on the back end. But I do think this is a team you – Come playoff time, might have potential to make a little bit more of a run than this this past year's team did. I think they're a little bit younger, a little bit faster, and I think that's more conducive to playoff hockey. And that's Matt's Hockey Minute, brought to you by Matt's Hockey Minute. Someone we, we need we need sponsors. We need sponsors. If you if you have a small business or just wanna just wanna give us some money, we'll say whatever you want us to say. We so always take money. That's Matt's Hockey Minute, brought to you by nobody. Matt, thank you for your brought, hockey minute. Brought to you by Matt. Brought to you by Matt. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well done. I, I technically Matt, did bring it to them. You did. 
we've uh, <laughs> we've kept a we've kept a generally positive tone here on the podcast. I know I got a little uh, shaky there with the Bears, but that's what they do to me. Uh, give me something negative. You, you got a grievance? I do. I do. All right. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, for, for, first off, before I get into my grievance, I, I, I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to say here. It, it's with regards to Jordan Spieth and the uh, the, the unplayable that he took. And I, I, I said it earlier, I like Jordan Spieth. I think he's a great golfer. But I, I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to say, and it made me think to, to past grievances that both of us have aired. It's kind of funny. You take this like, very analytical, technical, statistical, like facts-only grievances, and I feel like with my grievances, they're all more like, well, this is a minor inconvenience to me, and that bothers me, or something along the lines of, you know, affecting my comfort, whereas you have some more deeper meaning. And I, I, I just found that funny. I think it's very fitting to both of our personalities. <laughs> um, but my, mine's with Jordan Spieth, and this isn't really – I'm not going off any statistics or whatever, but he, I know it worked out for him. He hit that errant drive on 13, and then he, you know, had a tough lie and then you know, took 30 minutes to figure out how far back he could walk his drop and take that unplayable – and it worked out, and he piped it three wood. But I feel like every time Jordan Spieth hits one of these bad shots off the tee, and again, I'm not going off any statistics here. I'm just going off from what I can recall watching him. He always needs to, you know, take take a bunch of time, figure out all of his options. And he's being thorough. I get it, but he's he's slowing down the game. They'd already gotten a warning to you know pick up pace of play. And I feel like it's just taking off the attention of, I just hit a brutal shot 100 yards to the right. Now I need to be the smartest guy in the room to prove that I'm a good golfer. I guess if that makes sense. I don't know if you're picking up on the same thing I am. But it just, I don't want to say it speaks of smugness or arrogance, but it just, to me, it rubs me the wrong way. Just take your medicine, knock the ball in the fairway, and go make a five. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. The only place where where I'm going to kind of lean the other way is just how the rules are set up with golf and the nuance of the rules and the small details and how quickly you can be assessed a two-stroke penalty. You, you heard him yell up to Michael Greller when he was about to hit the shot, Mike, you can't be there. And that's Jordan understanding the rules. He can't yeah. be given an artificial uh, line of sight by his caddy or by anything else. But it's still the age of the PGA Tour where a fan can call in a penalty on a player. And I think that's wrong. And I think that slows things down because each of these players has that in the back of their head. Yeah. Jordan Spieth knows that he's in the final group on a Sunday at the oldest championship in the game. There are millions of eyes on him right now. And all he needs to do is misstep one iota. And there goes his championship, possibly. He's already putting himself in an adverse situation. The last thing you want to do is lop two more strokes onto that score. So take your time. Do what you got to do. But the tournament did lose a little velocity there. Now, he did inject it just one hole later with everything that we could have wanted and more with that eagle, that long eagle putt. But I understand it from both sides here. Jordan's got to take his time, and he's got to figure out the right thing. What Johnny Miller was talking about on the broadcast that surprised me don't you almost have a better shot reteeing? I, I I kind of thought of that too, especially when he started bringing that up. But if I'm if I'm in that situation and I'm Jordan, no, 
because I just, if I'm in that situation, I, just, I drop a ball 20 minutes early. <laughs> okay, if I'm as good as Jordan Spieth <laughs> yes. in that situation, no, because you know what? I just put a driver 100 yards to the right, which I've actually done 100 yards to the left before. It's, it's actually kind of fun. Love um, it. Yeah. It, the, the, the last thing I want to do is make is walk you know 300 yards back to the tee in, in my head again. thinking, well, I just put a driver this way. I need to go do this again, but this time the driver's going to be – no. I, 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 I would not have done that. I would not have walked back to the tee simply because mentally I, I don't think putting the driver in your, in your hands – for that next shot is good. I actually, I was texting with one of my friends and I said, you know what? I think the best thing for Jordan after that hole is he's got a par three coming up. He gets to tee it up with an iron. He gets to take a nice, easy swing and he, you know, yeah, knocked it to however many feet, knocked in a birdie putt. And then he had all the confidence in the world to go hit that driver. Yeah. That's, that's a really but good point. I, I, I think he didn't have to hit the driver immediately after that. You do make a good point though. I, I think then my grievance might more lie with the rules of golf, which I think we've yeah. gone after before on this podcast, but it's just it, it slowed everything down. You saw Cooch had to take a knee. He was standing there for so I felt long. Bad. I, he was I felt bad for Cooch. Uh, I felt really bad for Cooch because, because that, he just hit a really nice shot, and that took a lot of momentum, a lot of air out of the you know the environment for him. Granted, Spieth had to do what he do. I don't think he had to take a half hour, but yeah. he wanted to be thorough. He had to go through everything and whatever. Like, that that just that bothered me. It was a great finish. Uh, Jordan was obviously incredibly entertaining, going five under in the last five. I think it was, but. That something about the way that thirteenth hole was handled just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not sure if it was Jordan. I'm not sure if it was the the rules. Well, but, but something bothered me about it. And and I see where I see where that's coming from. But do you think that a good portion of it is Jordan? Because there are some character traits there. There are some moments where we see Jordan play villain when he made the eagle putt two holes later, and he gave Greller the go get that. I really didn't like that. I love I love when Jordan throws a, a club and, and side bumps Greller. I love when he hits crazy, amazing shots that we can't even fathom. But there are some character traits in there that uh, might not be make him a fan as fan friendly as we would like him to be. Jordan is the he I, he's the ultimate tweener in my mind. He he does do those. He does have those things that could definitely irk people some ways the wrong way. But he like we talked about earlier, he's also very personable, fun to watch. That's the, the, the go get it. I actually kind of thought that was pretty cool. He was really psyched up. He, he wanted to walk it off a little bit and have your caddy go get the ball, whatever. I'm okay with that. I don't think he's showing anybody up. He's just kind of, he's pumped up a little bit, but I just, the bad shot and the taking 30 minutes. And I feel like he was trying to take the attention off the fact that he just sliced one a hundred yards, right. And wanted people to think of, Oh, he's this really smart golfer. Who's weighing all his options. Not, Oh, he's this guy who just sliced one two football fields over to the right on number thirteen in the British Open with a one shot lead. Yes, that's that's um, more my pride. I think I feel like he wants to get the attention off when he does something bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe that helps I, him uh, mentally. Who knows? Yeah, I, I definitely I'm picking up what you're putting down there. It makes sense. It's just sometimes, uh, you know, he can he can get into moods where he's yelling at his ball, where he's uh, where he's kind of in his own head, and that might be the mental strength that makes him as good as he is can sometimes be ad- adversarial. Do you, uh, you ever yell at the ball? I yell at the ball. I talk to the ball a lot. Okay. I, I, yell, I, I, yell, I yell at, at myself. I, I yell at other people's shots. Really? <laughs> that, some that's people awfully, don't like that. It's awfully nice of you. No, you're yeah, interesting. Try and do my part. Uh, Matt, let's look at our, our final standings here. My picks were Hideki Matsuyama, who finished tied for 14th, and Tommy Fleetwood was my sleeper, 
He finished tied for 27th. So not a terrible showing by my picks. I know you had Poulter as your sleeper. He finished tied for 14th as well, two under, uh, right right above Hideki. Yeah. And um, Sergio, who's Sergio, Sergio was my favorite, I believe. Let's see. Sergio Garcia. He was all right. Tied for 37th. So uh, I, I got I to gotta do the math here, but I think I do – keep a small advantage in our season-long major selection money now, list. Now, I want I want to I want to put an asterisk next to this one, Joe, because Asterisk away, man. I'm going to this is, you know, we just aired a grievance, so I'm going to I'm going to air a minor one here. Uh, and it's with you. You, you, <laughs> you called Tommy Fleetwood your sleeper? Yeah. He's ranked 14th in the world. We said outside of the top 10, did we not? Oh, okay, cuz he's the 14th best golfer in the world, that makes him a sleeper. I picked him because he's been winning tournaments because he's been hot. He's been yeah. in top tens. So I'm sleeper. I thought we were, he's the he's 14th buried golfer in the world, Joe. That's you no picked the, you picked one of the top European golfers in the history of the game. Who lost your his sleeper. tour card earlier this year? Yeah, whatever. He's, what's what's plus what's Poulter ranks? Nobody likes uh, was Poulter Poulter's, in the 30s. He's got to be in the no, 30s. No, Poulter's in like uh, Poulter's set, he was started the week at 78. And he's now up to 71. All right. Well, you had a little bit more of a sleeper. Then Lawyered. all right, next. For the PGA Tour, for the PGA or PGA Championship, sleeper has to be outside the top thirty. I'm not. I'm not going to take a. I'm not going to take a handicap. I'm going to give you this one. You did it. You you slipped it by me. I'll spot you. I'll spot you a million dollars in the winnings, and I'll still be in the lead. I think. Fine. How's that sound? Deal. Let's do it. Learn how to pick golfers, Matt. Uh, I was fine. (laughs) You got to pick fringe sleepers, Matt. You got to pick fringe sleepers. Ian Poulter was the ultimate fringe sleeper (laughs) going into a British Open. But a good pick nonetheless. He was your top finisher and the top finisher of all four of our picks. So. I still feel dirty for picking him. Yep, you should, as you I should. Do. Uh, Matt, let's, uh, let's jump into the mailbag here, see what we got. Oh, I've been dreading this one. Okay, Joe, uh, let me pull up the Twitter machine here. Um, at Colleen McMahon tweets, Moose and Runes, what's the movie or TV show you're most ashamed to admit you haven't seen? Oh, so this is... This is directly stemming off of our Game of yeah, Thrones. Yeah, this is stemming off Game week. of Thrones. I think we, so we're still we, taking heat from the Thrones crowd. We caught the ire from some Throners. Ah, Joe, you also right, just well. broke the rule. You you said the G word and the T word within five I minutes of each other. Couldn't care less. You know what? I'm rooting for the White Walkers. That's I don't, a, that's a, I, 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 I think too, those are the bad guys. I, I think those I think are the those zombie are the bad, bad guys. guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the White Walker. We're Team White Walker. We're the team official first Team White Walker podcast. Bro, Matt's Hockey Minute will now be brought to you by the team White, White Walkers. Walker. There we go. Perfect. That's it. But so Joe, this is the movie that we're most embarrassed to say we haven't seen. Yeah, yeah that you know, if, if, if that you're most ashamed to admit, or sometimes you'll dance around the fact that you've never you like seen pretend it like you've talk. seen it. Yeah, you kind of go along with it. Oh yeah, it's great. Uh, ooh, okay. I, I'll start us off here. I got. I got two, so I'm going to out myself twice here. Does that sound Mo- right? Movie or TV show? or, or one Okay, of, I'm one going movies. I'm okay. going movies. Okay. okay. Just wanted to- I've never seen any of the Lethal Weapons or Indiana Jones movies. Same. Same? Same. You can't give I, me I any... Can't, I can't be mad at you. No. I, 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 feel like, I feel like a lot of people would be mad at us about that. I think, I think more so Indiana Jones-wise, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, it just makes for great radio, Joe. But I am—I agree with you completely. I've never seen any of those. <laughs> Man, I feel like you—you you do a lot of TV movie watching. Like, come on, get up. Here's on your the stuff thing: here. like when I'm watching TV or whatever, it's much more of like a—it's just kind of on in the background. Rarely mm-hmm. do I ever sit down and be like, "Oh, you know what? 
I haven't seen this before. I'm going to sit down and dedicate two hours to watching this. Unless it's Fifty not, First Dates comes on, right? Of course. That's a fantastic then you're, then you're locked in. It's a fantastic movie. <laughs> Drew Barrymore, Adam Sandler. Rob Schneider steals that movie. He makes Love it. it. Matt, um, what, uh, what's, your, what's your embarrassing admission here? Well, you're gonna, you might hang up on the phone call. I might have to finish the podcast the, uh, by myself. Um, oh, no. My dad might also mis- disown me. Um, oh, no. Ha- have not seen The Godfather. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast <laughs> for episode forever. 13 and forever because I don't know if I can talk to you. Are you kidding me? I just never got around to it. What do you mean never got around to it? It's not a checklist thing. It's like a culture thing. It's like three hours and there's like four of them. It's, it Man, seems like I, a you major probably wasted. You wasted three hours last week. You could have watched it in hour increments. We all wasted a couple hours last week. That's your homework. That's your, if you want this podcast to continue, if you don't want to be doing a one-man podcast, the Runes and Runes podcast, you watch The Godfather this week and you come back with your thoughts. Okay, I, only the one though. I don't have to do all of them this week. Watch Godfather 1, and then you'll be spurred to watch the others. Okay, how about, like, we'll see if I, I should be able to manage this. We'll do one a week for the next four. One a week for the next three. Oh, you don't you, like, skip three? Isn't three terrible or something? Yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, it's, but will it's not will that affect good. what I haven't seen in four? No, you just need, you need to watch the first Godfather is what you need to do. Okay, just, just need to watch the one? To be, like, yeah, a culturally sound member of our society. Also, this might rub you the wrong way as well. Never got into the Sopranos. That's, I mean, if you want to binge watch something, it's one of my, I've watched, I've, I watched it probably for the, for the first time, probably high school. I, I think high school. It? I think I, I watched it in high school cause we had it on DVD. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, and then I've now watched, I've watched it once since then and I could, I could start it again and watch it again. It's, it's one of the first character driven long form kind yeah. of premium cable shows that and the wire really laid out the the framework for for all of these shows your breaking bads your game of yeah. thrones your all of these premium cable shows I, I i strongly suggest that too you don't you won't get the ire from me that you get with the godfather Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, but Sorry. I would I would uh, recommend The Sopranos also. I'll, now, I'll, if you could, I'll get if to you the could stop being culturally insensitive and stop just suggesting Italian mafia driven shows, I'd really appreciate that. Well, I've seen The Departed. <laughs> yeah, but that like you got the Irish in there too. Exactly, so. that, that's yeah. what I was going at, Joe. I'm Irish. If you didn't know that, the last there you name go, Rooney man. is a little bit Irish. I didn't um, I didn't pick that up. Have, have you seen The Departed? I have seen The Departed. Okay, good. Now I can't be mad at you. Yeah, but. Oh. Uh, the Godfather, Matt. You should you should just really sit down and think about what you what you've done and what you haven't done specifically. Yeah. We we literally we have a like the movie poster hanging in our house, my parents' house. Oh at home. no, my, my dad has that hanging up. Oh, and I still no. haven't seen it. So bad. Well, thank you to Colleen McMahon for your question. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the Moose and Runes podcast. Tweet us your questions. We'll be sure to hit a couple mailbag topics. We enjoy fun ones just like that one, Matt. Buy or sell? Let's do it. Start us All right, off. I'm gonna I'm gonna start you off. Uh, it was another uh, acrimonious week in the NBA. Buy or sell? Kyrie Irving lands in one of his desired locations, that being the New York Knicks, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Miami Heat, or the San Antonio Spurs. Buy or sell? Kyrie is wearing one of those four jerseys by season start. I'm gonna buy it. I think the Spurs or the Timberwolves figure out a way to get it done. Um, 
the Spurs seem like a lot. I don't know what the Spurs have to give because, honestly, I don't know what makes or constitutes a fair trade in the NBA anymore. I really don't, especially when somebody uh-huh. requests a trade. I don't know what the Spurs have to give, but I think that's a perfect fit for Kyrie, and he can go be the Spurs point guard under Pop for the next probably 20 years because that's what happens in San Antonio. People can play till they're 45. Yeah. Um, but Minnesota also seems like – Minnesota's looking for that. They seem to be that one great scorer, shooter piece away. And if they mm-hmm. can figure out a way – granted, they'd have to subtract from what they have, but if they can figure out a way to go get a Kyrie Irving on that team, watch out. That's a team yeah. that can compete with literally anybody in the West, and I mean that's, anybody. That's an immediate contender, and yeah. I, I would really enjoy that because they're they're the Timber Bulls right now, and to get Kyrie there, that would be a, a nice piece to – really set them off. My favorite part of this whole saga is the fact that he can't simply stand to play with LeBron anymore. You're the top team in the East. You're going to continue to be the top team in the East, but he cannot stand LeBron's existence. Can't do it. Gotta and get he out wants here. to be somewhere else. That is so rich. And yeah. I, I, you know, people were talking about, oh, MJ was tough to play with too. He was punching guys during practice. How many guys requested trades? Yeah, none really. Um, Horace Grant, I think, was about the only one who forced his way out of there. But it's I, it was almost I was I was still shocked to hear that because I never thought they had the greatest relationship, but I thought they made it you know work well just because they while LeBron was always going to be the alpha there. I mean, there were nights where it was it was Kyrie's game. LeBron even deferred to Kyrie at times, and he, he just can't do it anymore. I think he also sees the writing on the walls and that LeBron's out of here after this year. Yeah, and I think he wanted to beat him to the punch. I think he'd rather be. A little too early, then a little too late. Not only that, if you're Kyrie and he leaves and you're left in Cleveland as the guy, the alpha, as you say, there's a lot more pressure in that position. I think you want to go somewhere where you got a supporting cast and not end up uh, just kind of holding your jockstrap looking for help. I would agree. Now, did you see LeBron yesterday came out then and said, like, hey, I won't waive my no-trade clause? Yes, I, which, I, which no, is... Duh, I think, but I, I think that's... Well, what I was going to go ahead, go ahead. You can start. No, what I was going to say is that's the only way where everyone comes out happy here is if they, if Kyrie leaves and LeBron gets traded prior to the season. Now I know he's not going to waive his no trade clause, but hear me out here. If you trade LeBron, let's say to the Lakers right now, before this season, you can get a haul from them. If you're Cleveland, you can get a (laughs) bunch of young talent. You can get probably everyone except Lonzo ball. You can Leave yourself in a position where you're going to still have a chance to win over the next decade of basketball. If LeBron and Kyrie leave, you're once again the Cleveland Cavaliers that you and I grew up with. You're nobody. And you're going to be nobody for a long time because Cleveland's not a market that draws people. You right now have assets. Sell your assets and get something for the future. LeBron gets what he wants and ends up in L.A. Kyrie gets what he wants and gets away from LeBron. And you end up with some young talent. But LeBron, I think sees the whole chessboard and doesn't want that to happen because I think he really wants to leave Dan Gilbert in a situation where he's got nothing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, that trading him makes the most sense for all parties because in all likelihood he is gone for L.A. after this year. But he doesn't like Dan Gilbert. He wants to screw over Dan Gilbert. And also, he doesn't want to go to a team that just traded all of their young assets for him because essentially he's just going back to what he has in Cleveland. Um, yeah, two, two stars and nothing behind him. If but he goes he, to a team with like LA with Lonzo Ball, with not the greatest, but a young yeah. supporting cast, that's the team that posi- posi- positions themselves. Excuse me, maybe not this year, but in the years to come, if they can add another big time free agent to beat the Warriors. But yeah, depleting but even, your depth doesn't do that. 
Yeah, but even if they do deplete the depth to get LeBron, this hypothetical that we're working in here, and it's just LeBron, Lonzo, and a, a bunch of J.R. Smith, because J.R. Smith will always be with him. He'll go wherever. A bunch yeah. of pick-and-plug pieces. You get that year to play with Lonzo, and then you get Paul George on the phone, and there's your third piece. And So you're not going to – it's not like he's going to be – No, that's the thing, like, though. It's your third piece, but with what behind it, I guess. And yeah. The way they beat the, the the Warriors two years ago in the finals was, yeah, Kyrie and LeBron were great in the finals. Matthew Dellavedova. They, they had guys like that. They laugh like you want, but he, he know. did a great job guarding Steph Curry. He, was he great floated them match. while Kyrie was hurt. J.R. Smith was fantastic. He'll, Richard Jefferson, he's like 90, but he had a great series too. Channing Fry, all those guys. They, they yeah. had that depth behind them. And I if, guess, you, if you trade LeBron for that depth, then he kind of goes back to the same situation he's in now. As I said, my favorite part of this is Kyrie's inability to play with LeBron. My least favorite part of this were the rumors that surfaced that Kyrie, before the drafts, requested a trade to the Bulls so he could play with Jimmy Butler. But let's not get into it because no, let's, let's, I, I don't want to ruin my Monday right yeah, now. Yeah, let's move on to the next buy or sell because I do not want <laughs> right. to talk about that. <laughs> Hit me. All right. Uh, Richard Sherman did a uh, Sunday sit-down with SportsCenter yesterday, a little aired it out, aired his grievances, if you will, uh, uh, with the media and the whole Russell Wilson controversy said, you know, no, we're not the best of friends, but we're also not, you know, the worst of friends in the locker room. Not everybody hangs out with everybody. It's not a big deal. Um, are you are you buying or selling that the Seahawks locker room is in a good spot right now? I'm buying it. This has been the narrative for the last three seasons. Richard Sherman opens his big mouth, and then we worry about if, if the Seahawks are going to contend. They're still going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. Uh, I think because it's on opposite side of the opposite sides of the ball, it can work. We've seen this before on teams we've played on. Sometimes there's a, a large gap between offensive chemistry and defensive chemistry, and as long as you keep those chemistries in your huddles, I think you're fine. The locker rooms probably split up offense, defense, and just where these guys sit. Uh, you know, you want to be around your comrades, the guy that you're you're gonna snap it up next to. As long as you're good with him, I think you're fine. Richard Sherman just. I, th- I think he understands the game. I think he understands headlines. I think he understands his marketability better than a lot of guys do in this league. I think he's trying to capitalize on the twilight years of his prime. And I think he's doing that in a very effective manner. I don't think the Seahawks are that in that big of trouble, or at least enough trouble to put their team in jeopardy for the upcoming season. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. And one of the things that started this whole, I think it was a year or two ago in camp, Richard C- Sherman picked off. Uh, Russell Wilson ran it back oh, with a pick six yeah, and yelled, yeah. you know, you effing suck at him. Joe, you and I played football up through college for a long time. How often did stuff like that happen all the time when the defense made a good play on the offense or vice versa? There was yeah. always tragedy. Best friends were yelling that stuff, that kind of stuff at each other. That's that's nothing, and that's the media just kind of looking for a story and looking to build and, and take things off and build on a narrative that they themselves have created. I know, football teams ben, are big enough where not everybody can hang out with each other and be best friends. doesn't mean you don't ben, like each other. Ben Houck was always one four-letter word away from wanting to punch someone in the mouth, so you kind of had to tread lightly there. Ben Houck wasn't even a four-letter word from wanting to punch somebody in the mouth. I think he, he just always, always wanted to he punch always somebody wanted in the to, mouth. Yeah, that's, I guess that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Ben listens to the podcast, so shout out. Ben Houck, fan of the podcast. Shout out to the, to, to, to the Hawker right there. Uh, you ready for the next one? Let's do it. A little broad here. A lot to take into consideration. I don't like that. Buy or sell. The month of July. It's kind of a downturn in sports, but if you look at it event-wise, you got a couple majors. Uh, the hot dog eating contest. Hot dog eating contest. You got the all-star game, but you also have to f- factor in like humidity really kicks up in July. A lot, lot more sweatings. Uh, you have 
our nation's independence. You have the 4th of July. So buy or sell the month of July as a whole. That, that's really tough because I feel like if I sell it, I'm not an American. Um, <laughs> you got to buy it strictly because, okay, I, buy or sell July 5th on. Ooh, that's tough. I'm going to sell it. I don't like all the, all it is is just waiting for football. Um, yeah. you, you said you, you sweat a little bit more. I sweat if it's July or February, so that doesn't really matter to me, <laughs> but sports, sports don't, the sports in July just get kind of boring. There's that week off with the all-star break and even baseball in July isn't great. Granny got the trade deadline, but if, if that's the most thing, the most exciting thing going on in sports for me, I'm, I'm going to pass that. Plus if you, if you let me keep July 4th, then I do get that hot dog eating contest. And that, that's good enough for me. I think that that's my highlight of July. So I'm going to sell it. Um, it's selling on July. I don't need July. Get me to August. Get me to football season because I think we've said it every week on this podcast throughout July. Football's coming. We're, we're getting closer to football. We're on the way there. So just, 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 just fast forward it for me. I don't need it. Fall is coming and we're looking forward to it, Matt. Oh, yeah. Hit me. All right. Um, bringing back fashion, Joe. We haven't done fashion topics Ooh. in a while. Now, uh, Justin, we, we tweeted about it a little bit last week, and I don't think Justin Thomas ended up making the cut, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. No, he was cut. I think he's seven over. But he had this outfit planned for Thursday, probably for good reason. Joe, he wore the cardigan and the tie look as a little bit of a tribute to the, uh, you know, the throwback days of golf. You buying or selling the cardigan tie look on the golf course for Justin Thomas? I'm... If we're going to talk about it in terms of result, and I don't think it had anything to do with the result, he would have come out and said that it did. I'm buying it because it did, it it shakes up the status quo. And a, a lot of times you get sick of the gray Nike polo and white pants or uh, a blue polo and white pants. Anything that You're these all guys, about the white pants, aren't you? Well, any, yeah, I got a couple pairs. Anything I, I that know. these guys do to shake it up. I love when Ricky wears the high tops and the joggers. I like when... Uh, Nike sends their guys out in some short sleeve, more t-shirt looking things. I, I like different, whether it be hearkening to the old or injecting the new. I like when these guys go out there looking like individuals. It was a great look. He kind of had, he had the tie swaggered down a little bit undone. Um, and if you're going to do it somewhere, do it at the open championship. It's a, it's a nod to the gods. It's a, it's, it's an ode to history. And I thought it was a really cool gesture by the whole, Polo Ralph Lauren RLX team to put Justin in that and uh, good on Justin for, for going with it. It, it was, uh, it definitely, again, was a headline grab. Everyone was talking about it. Um, and he looked good. He looked sharp. He looked like uh, Bagger Vance minus the knickers. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm glad he brought up the headline grab there because I think it accomplished everything he wanted to. He looked good doing it. He got people talking about him. Granted, he didn't play well in the tournament, but I think it accomplished everything he wanted to. It got Polo in the news. Like I'm sure they wanted to, and it was it seemed to work well for everybody. And I, I, as we're talking about this, I have the replay on right now, and I'm looking at Sergio in an Adidas polo, and then they just cut to Dustin in the same Adidas polo. That's what I don't enjoy, is when these companies trot their guys out in matching outfits day to day. And I know it's not always that way. They mix and match them. But it's the same design polo, the same design pants, the same design shoes. They, they look like carbon copies. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so something different. I'd like nice, to see, nice, like nice to see more of it. Up. Yeah. like to see more of it, yeah. All right, Matt. Well, that was the mail, or that was buy or sell. Thank you uh, for listening to the Moose and Runes podcast, episode thirteen. Here, Matt. I'm going to shut us down momentarily. Uh, you got anything else for the people? No, just happy we made it for a baker's dozen. Baker's dozen. Uh, uh, 
as we said, uh, plenty of ad space still open here on the Moose and Roots podcast. If you'd uh, like to get your business, we're, we're cheap. We don't we don't cost we don't charge much. No, and, and we are also our acting sales team. So just give us a buzz. I'm sure uh, our, our our loyal listeners ha- have our number at least. So uh, Moose and Roots ad space for sale. Literally anything you could offer us is more than we'd be <laughs> making now. So we consider it. All right. Well, Matt, it's been another fun one on week 13 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Might be a little shake up uh, next week. Might have to do a Tuesday pod or something along the lines. We will keep you guys up to date on Twitter. So check in on Twitter to see what next week's going to look like. I have some traveling. I'll be back in the Chicagoland area. Hopefully we can sit down and do an actual same room Moose and Runes podcast. Matt, how's that sound? Wow. That'd be a first. It'd be monumental on our 14th Moose and Runes podcast. Is there a fun name for 14? There's no like cool no. bakers done now. Hey, you should have done it this time. Good, good thing about it. You got a week to think about it, man. Uh, fine. All right. I'm going to shut us <laughs> shut, down. Shut us down, Joe. All right. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. Well, kind of going to end here on a. Uh, on a sad note, not terribly sad, but uh, on, on the note of a memory. Yesterday marked one year since uh, Nebraska's putter, punter Sam Fultz passed away in a uh, tragic car accident along with uh, 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 Michigan State kicker uh, Mike Sadler. It was, uh, I, remember, I remember it quite vividly, um, just how this community was rocked by Sam's passing and how amazing the Big Ten and these fans have been in keeping his memory alive. And I want to do my part here by saying how great of an individual it was, Sam was, and how great it was to get to know him over the short amount of time that I got to cover him with the Huskers. He was a punter, but he was a leader of this team, and and, and all of these guys heralded him as such. Uh, he led from the punter position, and that's that's not an easy thing to do. More, more, moreover, he was a genuine individual. He... Uh, when a lot of these guys avoid us media types, Sam sought us out. He wanted to know how we were doing. He asked us how we were doing, and he made it fun to cover Nebraska football. He made it fun to ask a punter a question, and I know that might not always be the case. Um, I've never seen a more powerful moment when then Nebraska when Nebraska brought out ten guys during their first uh, their first punt of last season. They came out without a punter and. Uh, I'm pretty sure all 90,000 people in Memorial Stadium had tears in their eyes, myself included, and it was uh, a powerful moment for a powerful individual. So we got the Fultz family in our prayers this whole week and this whole year moving forward. He was a great example of what young men and women should be, both athletes and non-athletes. He's something we can all strive to be, and his memory is still alive here in the Cornhusker State, and I hope it's alive elsewhere. Uh, Sam Fultz. We are uh, thinking of you and your family throughout this entire season. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast here on Monday, July 24th. That's episode 13 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us your ears. Give us your comments. Make sure to tune in each week. Catch up if you haven't. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Keep it real, friends. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome.
That makes a baker's dozen for me. 